Are you crying? No. Are you crying? Oh. Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. Why don't you leave her alone, Jimmy? Oh, you zip it, Doris. Rogers Hornsby was my manager, and he called me a talking pile of pig. And that was when my parents drove all the way down from Michigan to see me play the game. And did I cry? No, no. No, no. And you know why? No. Because there's no crying in baseball. There's no crying in baseball. No crying. No crying. That's right, Birdland. There is no crying in baseball. And yet here for the second year in a row, we're here to tell you that it's okay tonight. It's okay for a little crying in baseball. Here for the second consecutive year, Budding superstar Manny Machado has gone down with a knee injury, the severity of which is yet unknown. So until that is known, Birdland and beyond, it's okay. For now, there's crying in baseball. This is bull. And welcome in to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. This is episode 90, and today is August 11th, 2014. My name is Jake English, and here with me, as always, to yell out expletives is Scott Magnus. Hey, I behaved myself. I didn't use any expletives. You did. Tom Hanks on the hand might have used an expletive. Yeah, I was very proud of you. Now, if you're listening to our voice right now, you're most likely listening to us at our uh, at our podcast's website, which is birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. It's also possible that you found us on the Baltimore Sports Report Network, of which we are proud members and can be found at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. You can also find us in places around the web like Miro, Stitcher, and Double Twist, and as long as we haven't been thrown off this week, iTunes. You can also find us on various social media platforms such as Facebook, where you can find us at BEVCast. You can find us on Google+. We've got a YouTube channel. But the best way to get, uh, keep track of us is on Twitter, where we can be found at BirdseyeViewBAL. Before I forget, please make sure to tune in to Post Game Live on Channel BSR, which is the Baltimore Sports Report uh, YouTube channel. You can find us every Tuesday and Thursday night, uh, somewhere between 5 and 15 minutes after the game, where we do a post-game show uh, where we break down the highlights and lowlights of that night's game. It's uh, hosts from the Baltimore Sports Report Network, uh, various and sundry, and you can also find that at baltimoresportsreport.com slash live. All right, Scott, that was a lot to get out. I've got to uh, refresh myself while I'm doing that. Why don't you tell us what's the drink of the week? Jake, uh, my drink of the week for this week is a Stone IPA. It's a Stone Brewing Company IPA. I like it. I like it. I am actually double fisting here between uh, National Bohemian, which is almost empty, and a Birdhouse Pale Ale. And for those of us that uh, want to know what we're drinking throughout the week, you should follow us on Untapped, and uh, you can follow us at Jake E. 4025 and myself magn8606 and all of that uh, publishes out to bird's eye views twitter account am i am i correct that is correct all right so jake let's go to the medical wing um habato amenas returned from the dl um after his numerous rehab starts what do uh, you I, I thought you were the one that was on making sure he stayed injured i thought i thought we talked about this you lurk in the parking lot and just wait for him to step out of his car. Look, I dug a lot of potholes around his car, but um, he never fell in one of them. So um, I'm going to come back and um, dig some more. All right. Anybody else on the uh, on the injured reserve there? Well, J.J. Hardy uh, went down with a uh, sprain thrown by sliding into home plate. So he was out on – it's not sliding into home? Oh, no, it is. It is. I'm, I'm, I'm wincing and shaking my okay. head. Yeah, and he was out on Sunday, and he's been out on Monday as well. So um, – you know, that's a, a situation where you're basically playing Hardy and now you're playing Flaherty and Scope uh, in, in replacement for Hardy. So that's definitely a loss in terms of uh, production. And then something rather recent on the uh, on the injury front, if I'm not mistaken. And like we talked about at the beginning episode, Manny Machado went down during Monday night's game with what looks like a hyperextended knee. Um, 
Well, we don't have any details, but uh, the medical speculation has already begun of how long he will be out for. I love how you say that in the third person. Scotty, you are, are leading the charge with the medical speculation because apparently you stayed in a Holiday Inn Express last night. Uh, I did. Um, I took a first aid class last winter, so I think I have the full justification to make the entire prognosis. I, I have a feeling it may have been a Holiday Inn Express in the uh, in the Caribbean. Look, all I'm saying is I looked at the grand ball for a physical and I said, nope, this isn't going to go any further. <laughs> Um, let's, let's, uh, totally throw out the, uh, the, the qualification here. Let's, let's make this all about baseless opinion. Um, just gut reaction. What do you think is going to be the deal with Machado? I say four weeks. Okay. I don't think it's as bad as it looked on TV. Um, mainly because when you watched, when you watched it, I'm pretty sure that everybody's expression was kind of when the whole two girls, one cup thing came out. Like the facial expressions that most Orioles fans made was the same horror, shock, dismay, revulsion, wanting to cry to their mommies that that situation had brought up. I mean, the big issue is um, Machado. Allegedly. Would, so I, so the, I've heard. The big issue with that at bat was um, during many Machado's follow through, his knee buckled out. What Manny really should have done is he should have released the bat in order to get the torque back on him so that his knee wouldn't have given out. Jeez. All right. So we don't know how bad it is with Manny Machado. Obviously, we're hoping that uh, we're hoping for the best, but the Orioles are already down an infielder. And oh, by the way, they're trying to cling to a division lead, and this could not happen at a worse time. All right. Well, with that lovely news, let's go ahead deep into the twat. Jake, to start off this week on the twat, Tom. I'd like to talk about how hot the Orioles are right now. And, um, you know, there's an individual that follows the Royals. His name is Brett Dietz, and he asked Brett uh, Buster Olney on ESPN, is there a hotter team hitting on all cinders right now than the boys in blue? We want to win the pennant. And Buster Olney comes back and says, yes, the Orioles. But I hear you. It's kind of nice to uh, to be getting, given that, uh, you know, national attention. I think that uh, the Orioles are ranked anywhere between, what, third or, you know, second in some places all the way down to sixth in, yeah, they're, in national They're not polls. number one, but they're somewhere in the top five, basically. Dude, I'll take it. I'll take it any day of the week. Um, I want to stop and just take note of all the great images and quotes um, from everyone involved in Birdland, from the media, from the Orioles Hall of Famers that were present for the uh, Orioles 60th anniversary celebration. There's really way too much to single out, but the entire day was really special. Um, just from the, the images and the quotes that came out of that luncheon that took place, and then the after uh, the post-game celebration, it was amazing. And, and I wish that I had a better way a more articulate way to describe what that felt like, but it was just, it was perfect. And so, you know, this is the twat. We're supposed to have tweets for you. There are too many, go find them. If you just scroll through hashtag Orioles 60 after the next tough loss, it'll make you feel a lot better. Yeah, I totally agree. And again, I would say if you got 30 minutes of your time, go watch the Masson channel on YouTube and watch the whole thing you know, it's an amazing, amazing ceremony. You and I were, you know, honored just to be there in attendance with uh, another 40,000 of our good close friends. But, um, you know, it, it was just a great night. And the Orioles do those things very well. We saw that with the Statues game in 2012. Um, the Orioles really know how to do this, like, PR spiel very well. Yeah. Well, actually, I should change that. They know how to really throw a good, uh, I think what Jabby said on the BSR podcast is they know how to throw a really good party. The PR aspect of it. Eh, maybe not so much. So I'm going to retroact that and say I was wrong on that first one. All right. 40,000, 43,000 people in the stands. And I ask you, was there a dry eye in the house? No, I, I, I don't think you couldn't get emotional because again, it touched on every single era. So no matter how old you are, or how young you are, it touched on every single point. Um, so, I mean, I, I had goosebumps during it. Honestly, it was a situation of, it was just a very magical thing to see all those Orioles legends on the field. Um, I just—it's it, just—it was breathtaking. Honestly, for me, the highlight was seeing Brooks Robinson introduced to the crowd and to see them go absolutely nuts. And you know, it, it's terrible to say it like this, but we lost Earl Weaver. You know, and and Earl should have been a part of this celebration, but but we, he wasn't here. And uh, and you know. Of that generation of the Robinsons well, and, and the rest, I'm I'm just so appreciative of being able to be in the presence of him yeah. 
you know, soaking up that Mr. Oriole love from, again, you know, 40, 50,000 strong. I mean, we can go through the whole situation of, you know, whether they should include deceased Orioles like Weaver and Flanagan, you know, and I think you just have to sit at stage. The situation was it was supposed to be a happy time. Let's remember the greatness of Orioles. And, you know, it wasn't like Weaver or Flanagan weren't in the video tributes. You know, I don't know. Like I said, I think the Orioles knocked out of the park. Home run. You know, if we were giving the single to home run like the Baltimore runs do, this is a grand slam walk-off home run by Chris Hoyles to win the game. All right. Well, this is completely unequal to the task of telling you how awesome it was. Uh, I wrote a post about it this week. I encourage you to go check it out on the blog. On with the twat. Thank you for indulging our sappiness. Yeah, Scott, way to, way to like, sidetrack us completely on that. Bail us out here. So going to Chris Davis, um, Chris Davis posted a tweet, and thank God for Chris Davis actually coming back to Twitter. You know, he left it last year after, you know, some numerous bad situations. Chris Davis posted, in reference to the failed ball flip, I told Britt if he didn't start looking at me after the final out was made, I was just going to throw it at him anyways. That's what you saw last night. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, that's referring to him uh, flipping the ball to Britain after the last out of the game, and it just sailing by. Yeah, Britt's like, what the heck was that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah great gif. Uh, I think Baltimore Sports Report had it. Uh, Zach knocked out that gif right away. <laughs> All right, next, I want to switch gears. And, Scotty, I know this is not your favorite subject on this podcast, but I want to make sure that we address it. Uh, I'm going to switch over to football for just a second. A tweet from Steve Smith, the wide receiver for the Baltimore Ravens. He tweeted out a picture of his red cap with the O's on the front. And he said, it's been years since I've repped a non-LA or Cali hat, but I'm easing into it. Charm City, hashtag Charm City, but still a Cali boy. I love it. I love the uh, the crosstown love from the uh, free agent coming into Baltimore. That's all nice and good, but I'm also going to come back to Anquan Bolden and putting on a real Orioles hat uh, when he came to Baltimore. So, yes, yeah, Steve Smith, congratulations for putting the O cap on, but honestly, go get the smiling bird, put it on your head just like Anquan Bolden did. All right, keeping in the football vein, I want to I want to put two tweets side by side and basically just leave them without comment. And here is uh, here is basically how that that Thursday night uh, felt with the first Ravens. Uh, preseason game is a tweet from I hate JJ Reddick, who of course tweets at I hate JJ Reddick. Zero people tweeting about the Orioles game right now. Baltimore, Baltimore is a football town. Just a fact. Here's a tweet from Matt Taylor at Roar from 34. Of course, the author of the Roar from 34. Great blog. Go check it out. His tweet is, and we once again enter the strange Baltimore Twitterverse where you can't cheer for the Ravens without bagging on the Orioles. Yeah, I don't understand why this town can't be a two-team town. It is a two-team town, and anybody that tells you otherwise is selling something. Right, exactly. So, you know, it's a it's a two-sports town. After three years, folks, get used to it. All right, speaking of Bayou being a two-team town, Jake, the P word has been mentioning as of late. P, yeah. Camden Depot posted on their Twitter, in approximately two weeks, the Orioles will be sending out invoices to season ticket holders about playoffs. General public will get their shot in mid-September. And the money grab begins. Hey, they can't take my money fast enough. Yeah. They cannot take my money fast enough. Are you going to have another nasty rant about you not getting the games that you want for the playoffs again? Only if I don't get the games I want. Okay. (laughs) It's a cause and effect, Scott. Okay. I try to at least give them the chance before I rant. All right. And to finalize it up, Adam Jones put us a retweet from Twitter this week, and I thought it was apropos um, regarding uh, certain topics that we're going to go into. And it was from a Twitter uh, site called At Fact. And it says, being closed-minded literally makes you stupid. People who aren't open and understanding to change have lower IQs. I think that's really interesting that Adam Jones would retweet that. He's uh, he's one that likes to stir the pot every once in a while. Yeah, but normally it's about food or something like that. That's that's almost philosophical for him. I'm kind of wondering what started that situation. Yeah, somebody was probably rattling his cage at the ballpark, and he chose to respond. Uh, you know, several hours later, uh, through a retweet on social media. Okay, but you know, Jake, there's been a lot of argument back and forth about the Orioles, and you know, people have you know said you know there's been lots of disagreements. So. People are not keeping an open mind in regards to how this team is playing. Um, I think it's time for us to you know, talk about it and take a more logical approach to it. Feeling better now that we're through. Feeling 
Jake, there was an article that came out on Sports on Earth uh, earlier this week, and uh, it was posted by John Bernhardt, who is an Orioles fan, as much as people don't want to admit that he's an Orioles fan. But the question was raised by him of with the title, how exactly are the O's in first place in the American League East? And he basically goes through it and asks the fair question of, you know, how is the Orioles succeeding? This has been a question that's been asked of the Orioles for pretty much through since 2012. Um, so the points that are made in there um, that, you know, are highlighted, that, you know, are brought up are, uh, there's a couple of fan favorites that are overrated, namely Nick Markakis and Adam Jones. The rotation at best is unconventional and at best average. Um, and the Orioles really aren't an impressive team statistically, and they're really just succeeding in a weak division. And Jake, he even used the dreaded L word. Yeah, he really hit like all of the 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 Baltimore the issue piss button. off Oriole fan yeah. notes. Like if, if there's a bingo card, he almost like chalked it off and was like, oh, I got it. All right, all right. We've got a five in a row. Scavenger hunt. If only he had found a way to say, and the national media hates the Orioles, it would have been like a complete just run away with it. So, Jake, that article generated 184 comments on the site, which is actually a huge number for that website. And I'm sure that was all done by mistake. Yeah, I'm sure it was done completely by mistake. I'm sure that 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 article was not written in such a fashion, hitting all of those notes that you just covered in such a fashion that it would – Garner attention, links, page views, and comments. But that's fine, Jake. If that's the case and that's the kind of journalism that you're going to go for, that's perfectly fine. But the situation is there are articles posted about teams saying, oh, they're not as good as this or, you know, they're having these issues. But they don't generate 184 comments on that website. Well, I, I think you're you're running into two things. Okay. Uh, the first of which is that Oriole fans are passionate and they're starting to to stretch out again. Orioles fans are, are starting to come out from under the corners and and the uh, and you know the cracks to to say yeah we're here again we're a fan base and we're going to start yelling again because our team is finally good three years into having winning seasons. But it's not just that it's not just the Orioles, right? Well, the other thing I think though is that the Orioles are starting to get more national attention, and when you see more national attention for the Orioles, and then an article that's written that says yeah basically the Orioles are just an average team that happened to be winning, more people are going to say. That does not match the, the the story I'm being told. The narrative does not match what, what I'm seeing. Yeah, I mean, I understand that, but I think the same situation can be had for Baltimore fans in regards to the Ravens. Prior to the Super Bowl, too, Baltimore fans always felt like the Ravens were not given enough credit by the national media. In fact, you go back to that Super Bowl run during the 2000 season, and every single time the national media is just like, oh, these guys are a bunch of thugs, and it's just defense, but defense can't do this, yada, yada, yada. You know, they've got some great quarterbacks they're going to go against up, and that team absolutely dominated through it. And it always seems like Baltimore fans have a chip on their shoulder and saying, you can't talk bad about my team because if you talk bad about my team, then you're saying something bad about myself. And that's that kind of blue-collar atmosphere that Baltimore is all about. And I really feel like this is a situation where people are – well, let's just say they're not approaching things logically and looking at the facts. Because, again, the, the topics that John touched on are really not too far off. Yes, they may be worded uh, slightly to raise reaction, but uh, he raises some excellent points. I mean, let's go back to the situation where you've got some fan favorites in Adam Jones and Nick Marcakis. Yeah, they're good players. But on all honesty, you know, Adam Jones is, you know, 23rd best in Major League Baseball according to war. 41st in terms of offensive war, and Nick Markakis is in that top 50 as well. That's the two top players really on this team. The only other individual in that top 50 is Nelson Cruz, and again, he's only been here for this year. Yeah, we're, we're going to get into a dangerous top, uh, area, you and I, on this one, because the thing is, is that the the article is not wrong. It's not wrong in the fact that the Orioles don't have the 27 Yankees offense and they don't have what the Tigers should have with that top four <laughs> rotation. And, and they, well done, sir. <laughs> and they don't, you know, they don't have all these things, but the, 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 uh, the conclusion that is drawn is that, oh, well, the Orioles aren't a very good team and they're lucky because that, that's really how they, they break through. And I, I just want to read for you, Scott, how the piece ends. And again, we encourage everybody to go read this, this piece by John Bernhardt because, uh, Please don't think I'm beating him up about this article. But this is the way it ends. It says, so long as that situation continues, and that goes into the uh, 
the the injuries of the Blue Jays and the Yankees. So long as that situation continues and the Orioles' only real threats in the division are the incomplete versions of the Yankees and the Blue Jays, and so long as Baltimore don't themselves suffer any critical injuries, the O's should have a very good chance of making the postseason for the second time in three years. But of course, getting to the playoffs is a very is very different from succeeding there, and that's quite likely and it's quite likely that the magic that Baltimore's counting on to get them through September will be quite ineffective in everything thereafter. Okay. So, I mean, I think you and I, to be fair, because I want to start off being fair. That's a little trolly. I, I feel like <laughs> you and I have talked about the fact that the Orioles are built to win the AL East, but they might not be ba- built to win a, a short series. They might not be built to win sure, they're good in, for the, in the playoffs. They're good for the marathon. But maybe in a short series they might right. be taken advantage of. And and I and I will say that it is it is good for us that the other teams in our divisions are are struggling. Not not only with injuries, but the uh Rays dug themselves a huge hole before they got themselves mm-hmm. back together, and the world champion Red Sox absolutely deflated. That's all good. But I think that it takes a certain amount of good fortune for any team oh, to win. A World Series. There's no doubt about that. I mean, that's the way it always is. It, it requires a little bit of bounce and luck and stuff like that to make everything work. There's no question about that. There is always going to be luck involved um, in terms of you know certain teams winning. Um, you know, there's often you look at the situation of lots of teams that go in to the playoffs and have the most amount of wins. It's very rare for those teams to go and win the World Series. That's why we've oftentimes had wild card teams come out and win the World Series, and that's why Major League Baseball came back and said, "All right, if you're going to be a wild card team, we're going to make you go through a one game." playoff as well and make it more difficult for you to you know come into the playoffs the thing that that makes me crazy about this article and i think you you nailed it on the head is is trolling and and you know again i'm not beating this guy up because i'm sure that that he wrote it for a purpose to get attention to his site to also create conversation about the orioles like we're having now but come on now i I think that orioles fans in 2012 really got their feathers ruffled when you said it's you know it's buck not luck and uh and to a certain degree, 20, 2012 was luck. You know, it was yeah. good fortune smiling no, I mean, on us. Again, you look at run differential that we saw in 2012, and it was, yeah, we really shouldn't be performing as well as we are here for the majority of the season. But this season hasn't been the case. We've actually been very close to being what run differential has been for our win-loss record. So the Orioles, I think, were, I came up and we pulled this stat up last night, are fourth in the American League in terms of run differential. That's a great number. I mean, that's exactly where you expect them to be. They are overperforming slightly compared to the run differential, but not by an exorbitant amount. And I don't want to go through this article, you know, point for point and, and tell him that he sucks for his analysis because he probably knows more about baseball than I do. But let me just ask you this. Is it impossible that a good but not great pitching staff can win you ball games in the playoffs? I, I say yes. Um, let's go through the playoff teams that are currently in contention. The Athletics right now are fourth in ERA with a 3.18. The Tigers are 22nd right now with an ERA of 3.92. And that's with starting rotation. It's not... You know, bullpen. Oh, their bullpen is great. Yeah, okay. Royals are 10th at 3.58, and I can't believe I'm throwing the Royals in this conversation. And the Angels are 13th. And, Jake, I'm going to go back to last year in 2013. The Red Sox last year were 14th in ERA with a 3.79 ERA. The Orioles this year are a 3.68 ERA for 14th in Major League Baseball. I will point out that the Red Sox had a much better offense last year compared to the Orioles. Well, wouldn't it be nice to have that one guy that you could put out there for an absolute win on game one? Sure. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah. But I got to be honest, we're getting to the point where where we have five guys that I feel pretty good about on any given night. Is it a sure thing? Is it a lock? No. I mean, that's what Buck said in 2012 is he's like, I'm happy throwing anybody out there. So we don't have to throw an ace out there. We've got Miguel Gonzalez in the minors that I would throw in a a playoff game. I, I still come back to the situation of, you know, you come back to the ALDS in 2012 and you had CC Sabathia come out there for game one and game five and absolutely shut down the Orioles. There is a benefit for aces in a short series, whereas, you know, pitching matchups are not going to be ideal in a short sure. series. But in that 2012 ALDS, it was the offense that failed us. I, you're absolutely right. I can't argue that. And that's because you're absolutely right. But I'm just saying that normally in short series, the better pitcher will dominate that series sure. that's just historically how it's always been all right let me let me go back to another point that he raised and that was having uh no true superstars i i struggle with this because i work very hard not to overvalue my own players right i don't want to be a fanboy about the orioles any more than i have to be and i think knowing me you realize i have to be to a great degree but you know you you look around the diamond and i feel like we have 
we have plus defenders in just about every position. Okay, I agree right? with that. You look around the, the, the lineup, and the bottom is not strong. The bottom is just straight up not strong. Correct. The middle has been disappointing. However— Well, I'd say actually the middle has been not so much disappointing, but it's been constantly fluctuating. So, for example, at the beginning of the season, it was Nelson Cruz red hot. Sure. And then it was Steve Pierce red hot. And now it's— and then when it's Manny Machado, red hot. And now it's Caleb Joseph, red hot. And then it almost got to a situation where Delman Young was red hot. Stop it. Don't say that again. Yeah, I know. You've had a situation of a player coming up and being red hot and almost carrying the middle of this order. Yeah. Um, so the question is, and I'm going to come back to when we talked about when Manny Machado came down, is, oh, Sunglass guys had next man up. And to a situation, I give him a hard time for it, but he's kind of right. This team has thrived on next man up and saying, I want to have this person step up and go absolutely gangbuster and be a force in the lineup. The question is whether that's sustainable and if it's sustainable during a short short you know series. If it's not, then you're out just like you were in 2012 where no one hits. I feel like the Orioles don't have a team full of superstars, but they have solidity all up and down the organization at this point. Which, again, is good for a marathon. It's a situation of you can constantly get to the playoffs, and um, that's a good thing. You know, it's actually funny that we were talking about this. Dan Zabrowski mentioned this on his Fangraphs chat today. He pointed out that, you know, the situation was the Orioles really don't have any true superstars, you know, but they're really built for a marathon season. They've got a great bullpen. They've got great defense. They've got adequate pitching. And, you know, they've got an above-average offense. But in a short series, again, that's going to hurt them. But in terms of a marathon and getting to the playoffs, this is a team made to get to the playoffs. All right, we're dancing around it, but let's do it. Okay. There's no superstar on this team. Let's talk Adam Jones. Okay. That's fine. Is Adam Jones a superstar? Adam Jones is a, a, a above average player. And I put him close to that upper echelon, but he's like a Joe Flacco-ish player. <laughs> All right. You've, you've got some stats on Joe, uh, on Joe Flacco. <laughs> you've got some stats on Joe Flacco. I'm very interested on Adam Jones that you put in the show notes that I'd like you to, to walk through, and then I'm going to beat you up about it. Oh, okay. Which ones am I looking at here for his stats? Uh, you've got uh, you've got uh, Jones and his uh, uh, WAR versus the rest of the. Uh, like I said, Jones is a is twenty third in Major League Baseball in terms of WAR, and he's forty first in terms of offensive WAR. I mean, he's a top. I'd say he's a top thirty player. So he's a he's the superstar on this team. How do you define superstar then? Because here's my complaint okay. with there. First of all, you're using a stat that the major players in statistical analysis can't even get straight as to what what it means. So you've got war. Not a point. You've got war, and you've got O war, which are two things you've thrown out at me. One is he's ranked 23, and the other he's ranked uh, 41. There are 750 active major league players at any given time. Yeah, excluding the 40 man rosters that you see in September, just the up and down of the season. There's probably close to a thousand major league players. Every year. Yeah. And you're telling me that Adam Jones is the 23rd best of a thousand? I'm sorry. That reaches superstar status for me. Well, I mean, it's a great point, Jake, that you're making there because, again, I'm going to come back back to the war situation because that's what people are going to come back and say Adam Jones is in the top 30. Jake, let me ask you the question. Do you consider, consider Alex Gordon a superstar? No, but he's a very, very good player. But Alex Gordon has a 5.3 war. So do you consider him a superstar? No. But you're, you're trying to trap me into caring about war. No, I'm not, actually. I'm just <laughs> pointing out the aspect of we can't simply look at a stat and say, okay, that player is a superstar based off of war. I think that we, deep down our hearts, really like Adam Jones, but I'm not sure if we can actually say he's a superstar. If I'm looking at superstars, I'm looking at a player like Andrew McCutcheon, Miguel Cabrera, Paul Goldschmidt. Jose Batista is, uh, is a superstar. I'm sorry. I would take Jose Batista over Adam Jones. I think that Miguel Cabrera is in a class of... Yasiel Puig is a superstar. Oh, get out of here with he that. Yasiel Puig has done nothing to prove himself in this league compared to Adam Jones. You want to talk about... I Mike, disagree entirely. You want, to talk you about, want to know why I know why this is the case? Because Yasiel Puig can flip a bat better than anybody. All right, you've got me there. Yeah. He is oh, superstar baby. bat flipping talent. Yeah. He, he is in the uh, Suspedis Barbecue League yes. of bat flipping. Gina Corlin Stanton. Is a superstar. I agree with you. Okay. However, outside of Miguel Cabrera, who is in a superhuman class yes. all of his own, <laughs> I don't very... think there's anything wrong. Oh, by the way, Mike Trout's a superstar. Yes. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with grouping Adam Jones in that group of the guys that you just named. Like I said. Outside of Yasiel Puig, who I do not acknowledge as okay. a superstar outside of his bat. But I think you and I can both agree that there are, you know, really, really good players, and then there's Adam Jones. He's in the second tier. <laughs> You want to put him in the top tier? I, I think. Let me ask you this question: Do you consider Adam Jones a perennial MVP candidate? 
No, I do not. Well, then there you go. He's a second tier. All he's a second tier top player. I mean, he's good. He's really good, but he's not a perennial MVP candidate. Does all this run the risk of splitting hairs when we talk about is Adam Jones good enough to lead a ball club into the playoffs? Is Adam God, Jones? God, this sounds so much like the Ravens. I'm sorry. <laughs> is, is Adam Jones good enough? This sounds just like the Ravens, where it's like, can Flacco lead uh, the Ravens into the playoffs and win a Super Bowl? Look, I'm not the one that wrote the article here. John Bernhardt is the bad guy in all this. I just think it's a situation of, you know, this is an above-average team if you look at it statistically. Yes, they're not a great team compared to, like, the Athletics or the Tigers. But statistically, they're an above-average team. The question is, can an above-average team beat a really good sabermetric team? And the answer is... Yes. Yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. Because the the thing is, is that as, as frustrating as it is, it doesn't always work out the way it's supposed to. And this is not this is not the play it on paper versus play it on on the uh, on the field discussion. You often have a case where a team gets hot at the right time at the end of the season and just bowls through the playoffs oh, when they're not the best team. I mean, again, we come back to the beginning of the season. Baseball's perspective is everybody was projecting the Orioles to win around seventy five to eighty games this season. 75 to 80 games. And the Orioles are going to exceed that unless something drastic happens and likely score, you know, have wins of probably close to, I'm guessing, 88 to 93 wins. So you have improved by over 10 games over your projections off of what your, you know, your stat projections was. That's a huge number. I mean, that's unbelievable. I mean, the Orioles did it in 2012 to an exorbitant amount, but still coming back to plus 10 wins. That's huge. I mean, that is absolutely amazing. And again, you also have a situation of we just went down. Jimenez has been terrible and everything like that. I mean, this Orioles team defies sabermetrics, and that's exactly like we talked about with Mike Petrullio. In a marathon, the Orioles can do it. The question is whether or not they can win a playoff. Spoiler alert, yes, they can. Okay. So Jake's calling it now. Um, I would not put any money on it, anybody. Scott, this was so much more of a of a well-reasoned discussion than I was expecting from you and I. I, I think that, that you and I probably agree on principle, but when we get down to the weeds, we, we really butt heads on this. So I just want to congratulate you for not letting this turn into an argument. Well, with that, Jake, I think it's time we get back into arguments, and we'll be right back. You know, Scott, it's an iconic image of baseball. The manager and the umpire. Horns locked in the heat of an argument. Think Earl Weaver with his hat turned around or screaming, Don't you touch me. You're just here to screw us. <laughs> Think Lou Pinella uh, abusing his hat or, or Bobby Cox on basically any night of the week. That iconic image is an endangered species. You know, with the uh, with the expanded replay era upon us, at last, for Major League Baseball. Uh, as much as the sport has gained in implementing this this uh, uh, extended replay, it's also lost a lot of it, and part of that is the heart and soul of the argument. Yeah, there's nothing quite sexy or entertaining about someone coming out to talk to an umpire and then turning his head back to look at the dugout and then come back and talking to the umpire and then turning his head back to look at the dugout and then getting a thumbs-up or thumbs-down sign him shaking his head and then going over to a pair of headphones. I, I do love the theater, though, because, <laughs> you know, the the manager will walk over to the umpire in a very cordial yet determined, uh, you know, way. And the umpire will position himself in such a way that the manager can be looking at the umpire, but also looking into the dugout. I think that's very polite of the umpires to be like, you know what? Let's just let's just shift this way. Can you see him? You got him? Okay, because I'm sure that's what they're doing. It's all about good body position. <laughs> it is, as with most things. Um, so... We bring this up because in Sunday's loss to the Cardinals, which got it out of hand in a hurry there, the Orioles got a force out at second, which was overturned by replay after New York determined that uh, the transfer rule is not something that can be identified correctly by anyone anywhere. Yeah. Um, 
and after that happened, Buck went apoplectic and basically just went crazy on the field and just said, hey, what the heck is going on here? I'm going to put the headphones. He's like, I want headphones. I want to talk to whoever's in New York because, you know, they're trying to screw us here. Um, you give me those headphones. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost almost looked like he also went over and talked to the Cardinals manager. It's like, what the hell did you say to them? What the <laughs> heck did you say to them? Whatever you're paying them, I'll double it. Right. Um, and, and it's good to see that and see Buck get absolutely, you know, invigorated off of that situation. It was the first time he got thrown out for the entire season, too. Um, and, you know, it is a dying art, Jake, like you had said. My question, Jake, is are you a fan of the manager, Hissy Fit? And do you miss it as a staple of the game? I do. I do miss it as a staple of the game. Um, only because I don't feel like the manager... I don't feel like the manager getting ejected really accomplishes anything. Um, I, I feel like in in a certain regard, he can save a player from getting tossed. You know, like if a player starts to overreact, the manager can completely overreact, push the, push the player out of the way, get himself tossed, and, you know, your star second baseman or whatever stays in the game. But aside from that, the manager blowing up at the umpire is the is really the only thing that we can vicariously live through to express our frustration with the umpire. So yeah, I I do to that stupid emotional way, you know, connect to the manager argument and miss it. I mean, I understand that. I think we're also a little sentimental here about Earl Weaver and being like, oh, we want him to be like Earl. I mean, we've had plenty of managers in the past where like he should go out there and argue like Earl did and kick dirt in the field. And you know, Earl was one of a kind. Earl was in a different era. I don't think we can expect managers to be like that in this current day and age. Here's what I love about Earl that I really want to see at this point is that Earl forfeited a game by pulling his team off the field. In uh, was it Toronto? Yeah, I think it was Toronto. He was uh, not happy with uh, with a tarp being too close to the field, and he thought it was a danger to his uh, left fielder. And when he didn't get the answer that he wanted, he was like, "You know what? We're done here." Pack it in, boys. Let's go home. That's the kind of crap I love, but you just don't see anymore. Well, I mean, that would be just exorbitant fines now. And probably suspension. And probably suspension, yeah, exactly, if that ever happened. So that's not going to happen. And, um, you know, like you said, it's good theater, but it's it's a dying art of theater. Well, you hear it all the time. This is supposed to be entertainment. This is a game. Don't you want the excitement of the... Okay. Um you know, I think the bigger situation is like in these situations where the call is made wrong, and Buck knew he was instantly going to get thrown out as soon as he touched that field. He was, he basically just wanted to make a point, and he even came out saying, you know, after that game, saying he really feels like there are calls being made that are always against the Orioles. He's the paranoid man, as yes. he put it, and which is perfect for Baltimore because again, it comes back to a situation of Baltimore fans who are always paranoid and thinking that people are out to get them, and Buck really just played right into that. So, yeah. All right. Well, well. Here's here's the the million dollar question. If there can be one for the subject, will we see the art of the argument fall out of the game? I think we've already seen it fall out of the game very quickly. I think that we have lost a lot of individuals that uh, were the main arguer arguers of this game. Lou Pinello is one. Bobby Cox was another. That are no longer with Major League Baseball in an active role. I can't think of a a manager that really comes out and argues. Uh, vociferously um, in a game, we often kind of see these managers roll up and have conversations with the umpires and nothing seems to be done. Joe Girardi is a classic example of someone just kind of rolling out and just talking it out and being like, hey, so what's going on there? Did you get that $100 that I put in your pocket earlier tonight? <laughs> yeah, did you know it's Jeet's final season? And it's like, God almighty, if you come out to the field one more time, you deserve to be thrown out of this game. Wait a minute. You're telling me you think the, the art of the argument is gone from this game i think it's i think it's it's pretty much dead scott it's not gone from this game how could you say a thing like that i, I think it, it's dead you can argue with me on the podcast but i think on the field it's dead oh come on you're out of here that's crap that's just crap no this is no we're done here the art, art of argument is not gone from baseball oh when it comes to kissing i just gotta keep insisting on baby Oh, yeah. But in the middle of the night, when the 
God, I don't even know what this music is anymore. Yeah, that was uh, impressive, Jake. Uh, Jake, let's go through the numbers really quickly. The category last week was line dry percentage, and you picked Delman Young, and I picked Manny Machado. Delman Young had a 13.3% line dry percentage, and Manny Machado had a 12.5% line drying percentage. Um, actually, pretty low in comparison, um, but... Both of them actually had pretty decent weeks in terms of Babbitt as well. Manny Machado had a three 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 Babbitt. Dominic Young had a three fifty seven Babbitt. So kudos to you, Jake. You pulled out the victory this week. So does that bring us to uh, ten six and two? That is correct. Ten six and two, narrowing the gap. All right. Now I've given this a lot of thought in the last thirty seconds. Okay. Because uh, I did I not think you're just surprised. Did not think I was going to win. Yes. Um, so here, here we go. I'm going to give you a I'm category. I'm not sure if you remember what the stat was for last week. Uh, it was line drive. Okay. I, I, Percentage. I, not only not only did I know what it was, but I listened when you talked. Okay. Um, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you a category, but I'm also going to give you a tiebreaker. Okay. All right? So I want to know which player you think is going to have the most sack flies okay. in the next week. And if we, for some reason, tie, or neither of our players even have a sack fly, the tiebreaker will be uh, the winner will be the person whose, whose player strikes out the fewest. So I'm going with sack flies. That is correct. Okay. Um, I believe that I am going to go with. Hmm, I'm going to go with Nelson Cruz. That is excellent. However, you need to consider the strikeout penalty. Oh, I'm still going with Nelson Cruz. You're going to go with Nelson Cruz. All right. I. I was originally going to go with Manny Machado. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go with Nick Markakis. Okay. You realize that Nick Markakis doesn't really put balls in the air. I'm well aware. Okay. I just want to make sure you are aware that he doesn't really put balls in the air. If you're okay with that, I mean, that's perfectly fine. But I'm just saying. And uh, I'm going for the tie and the tiebreaker. Okay. It's strategy, Scott. It's strategy. Don't, don't mock. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to mock. I'm just, I'm a little surprised. That's all. You're especially, to, especially since who's he, he's going to be driving in who? Uh, Ryan Flaherty? Caleb Joseph. Come oh, on now. Okay. <laughs> no, Caleb Joseph only hits home runs. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. <laughs> All right, Jake. With that, uh, let's go through uh, last week, and let's go through our good, the bad, and the ugly. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jake, do you want to go this week or first, or you want me to go first? You know, it is completely up to you. You want to flip a coin? Is that how this works? Uh, I think I'm actually going to go first this week. Um, my good for the week is going to go to Friday night. Orioles magic happened. Um, just dongs galore. And again, that uh, that post-game ceremony was absolutely amazing by the Orioles. So kudos to them. And kudos for Masson for showing it on television after the game, you know, your wife wasn't able to attend, but she was able to watch it on television. That's something Masson rarely does is show something that's going on for the post game. So good job, Masson. You know, that's the kind of stuff that we are looking for in a regional sports network. Absolutely. And I, I had, I had ragged on him before that game because I assumed that they wouldn't. So you, you are wholeheartedly correct. All right. My good for this week is a little tongue in cheek because I'm actually going to call it good enough or rather so far so good. And that is Abaldo Jimenez in his return from the disabled list. On his uh, first start back, he went six innings. He gave up six hits. He gave up three earned runs, including a home run. He walked three, and he struck out five. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. This is good? It's good when you consider what he has been. It's You're right. He is a has-been. It's good enough for a fifth starter. It's... God almighty. It's not horrific for stuff. The only good thing about this whole start was his walks per nine was down slightly. But again, he had a 5.13 FIP and a 5.47 XFIP. It was an absolutely atrocious game, Jake. Absolutely atrocious. And yet, it's the only good we've got from him so far. I don't know about that. He has had games where he went eight innings pitch. So, Jake, I think you're blowing it out of of portion a little bit. All right. What's your bad for this week? Uh, Jake, my bad for this week is going to go to 
Rick Dempsey. Rick Dempsey on Saturday tried to spell up the letters during uh, the seventh uh, for Wild Bill Hagee Day, and God, he was horrible, absolutely horrible. You know, it takes a certain amount of quality to spell out the letters. And Rick Dempsey, you are the bumbling fool that just can't do it. So Rick Dempsey, step up your game. You're on notice. You know, it's possible that he was just too close to drunk Gary Thorne. That you know he had uh, one too many gin palmers and uh, couldn't remember how to spell Orioles. That's a possibility. That's a possibility. All right, my bad for this week is Kevin Gosman's first inning on Sunday. <sighs> Again with the Sundays, but th- this was was just not not good. He he could not put guys away. The the pitch yeah. count was just yeah. absurd. Giving yeah. up runs, putting the uh, mm-hmm. the team back yeah. early. Uh-huh. How many runs did Kevin Gosman give up that game? Three. How many did Obama and Eskimo? Three. Continue. Yeah. The thing is, is that that's the best we're going to get from Obaldo Jimenez. This is not the best that we're going to get from Kevin Gosman. You are never going last again. I'm just pointing that out. Look, you had, I had to find a bad for a week in which the Orioles were really good. There was plenty of bad. This is me nitpicking. There's plenty of bad. All right. What's your bad? Well, I already went oh, to my you bad. Went bad. Okay. What's your ugly? My ugly for the week has to go to the Detroit Tigers. They went in and played against the New York Yankees, then Toronto Blue Jays. They lost two or three to the Yankees and two or three to the Blue Jays. In the Yankee series, they threw three Cy Young winners against the Yankees and only managed to win one game. And in the Blue Jays series, they managed to go and blow two games in the ninth inning on Saturday and Sunday. Tigers, you deserve to be kicked out of your division lead. Go Kansas City. Tigers, you're ugly. Yeah, that's no good. Uh, my ugly for the week is is obvious, and it it takes place uh, here on Monday night, and that is uh, Manny Machado knee ugly uh, knee injuries. That is ugly. That is not good to see. I I am so sick of a guy with such great talent having such uh, injury trouble. Obviously, it's too early to know, but Manny Machado knee injuries. You're on notice. You are ugly. Oh, okay. I mean, that's definitely ugly. Um, we're going to have to see what happens. Um, again, we've made some rampant speculation here, and um, we're going to have to see what occurs over the next few days. So, Jake, I think it's time we go ahead and blow the save. Jake, go ahead. All right. Here's here's the thing that I want to blow the save with this week. You've seen a lot on Twitter and Facebook and the rest, I'm sure, at this point, of the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge. Scott, I mean, have you seen this, Scott? I have seen these Ice Bucket Challenge. That is correct. All right. Now, it, it, you know, it's funny to watch people flip out because they've gotten hit by ice cold water. But, Scott, I need you to, to make sure I'm understanding what's happening, okay? Am I correct in understanding that the challenge is either one of two things? One, dump a bucket of cold ice water on yourself. Or two, donate money to an ALS-related charity. Is that correct? That is correct. And again, once you're dumped in, you challenge three more people. So it's like a big pyramid scheme, basically. Okay. And a lot of these people are choosing, instead of donating money to an ALS-related research charity, to dump ice water on themselves instead? That is correct. Why is this a good thing? I don't quite understand it either. And maybe it's because I'm old but why are we not just donating money to ALS? Yeah, I, I think it's just because people like having ice water poured over them, including Buckshaw Walter, by the way. Why don't we just have videos posted of us writing right. a check by the way, to ALS? Adam Jones challenge, uh, strikeout ALS, ice bucket challenge. And uh, my three, uh, what do we call them? Nominees for, uh, uh, to have to take the challenge. He was obviously Jim very Palmer. well prepared. Jim Palmer. Dan Duquette. Dan Duquette. And Wayne Kirby. And Wayne Kirby. <laughs> I think it should be all of the above. Okay? So I think that's... Uh, By the way, Adam Jones proper. is the one that pours water on him. And I, I really want to thank Adam Jones for putting me into uh, this situation. <laughs> so I'll just follow his lead. It's very entertaining. Very entertaining. So we all get a chuckle. That's great. You know who loses, Scott? You know who loses? ALS. Come on. Can we start donating money to ALS? What the hell? I think it's a situation of if you don't, do, if you're not going to take the ice bucket challenge, you donate, you know, X amount. And if you do take the ice bucket challenge, you donate X amount. Absolutely. So you donate whatever you're going to do. And then if you're not going to take the challenge, you donate twice as much. Basically, here's here's what the Orioles should do. They should say we will douse. Whoever you want, fans, with ice water, 
you, you know, here's the list to, to vote from. You vote for them and, you know, you vote with your pocketbook. And it's ah, you know, that's a great idea. A dollar a vote or five dollars a vote or whatever no, it is. That's a great idea. And whoever raises the most money is the person that's doused with ice water. No, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. The other thing too is it's the middle of summer. Ice water doesn't really seem like it's a quite a reward. Put it in like January and send them outside in like zero degree weather and be like, Oh, we're gonna dump ice water over you. That's a challenge. So I am I am blowing the save with my my lack of understanding of this whole ALS channel. And, and I'm not beating up anybody that's done it. Or, or that's you know put themselves up over and on the calls the webs. Yeah, I just I think we're going about this the wrong way. Yeah, donate money to ALS. You know, if you want to pour water on yourself, great. Then grab your checkbook yeah. and, and go donate money. And go donate money. Okay, Jake. With that, us two old men have basically blown the save. We don't understand what's going on. With also, this. if you could get off my lawn, that would be great. Yeah, this you know these viral videos, darn you, and um, you know. We're going to have to see what happens with Manny Machado. Like I said, we're kind of just hoping and praying now. Um, but the Orioles do have a five-game lead in the American League East. The Orioles are playing gangbuster since the beginning of July. Jake, keep winning series. Keep winning series. Keep winning games. <clears throat> keep being healthy. Keep being healthy. Again, I'm going to come back to the article. The way the Orioles are staying ahead is because everyone else has got injured. The Orioles cannot get injured now going into the stretch run, but also going to the playoffs. And with that, Jake, go ahead. Baltimore and beyond, I will bid you all a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe and wrap that ankle. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.